Welcome to Off Screen and a Happy New Year. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect. And this is your seven day guide to everything movies. And before I give you the boom, yes, it's movies you can enjoy as ever on your couch. Boom. <laughs> as long as we get to the boom eventually, we're all good. <laughs> happy New Year, Miss Perfect. How was your happy holiday? Happy New Year. Ah, oh, do you know what? Well, well, how was yours? It's probably exactly the same as yours, to be honest. Um, yeah, well, happy weird Christmas and happy new tier, I would say, is probably how I describe it. <laughs> <laughs> very much. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I spent my Christmas pretty much just watching movies and documentaries and things. And uh, I, I saw uh, Wonder Woman 84 again, and I watched Soul again. And, yeah. But mostly I watched films again, if I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of agains. Yeah, my other half was very much like, we are in Christmas. We are watching every single Christmas movie out there. So apart from Krampus, I was really annoyed. I was like, no, I've got to find it. We're going to find it. Um, I also had quite an interesting debate because I was desperate to watch Enchanted. I paid a premium amount to watch it of 11 99 And um, I know, wow. And uh, this day and age, yeah. $11.99 for Enchanted. I know, I know. Hubby hated it. <laughs> Well, I mean, I've never particularly been a fan, but I, I think I saw it when it came out, which is what, 2005, 2006? So oh, it's I been a while. It. I have to try it again. They're on about doing a sequel all the time, aren't they? They constantly talk about doing a sequel to Enchanted. They are doing a sequel, but I mean, the closest you'll get to a sequel right this moment is Godmothered. But, um, yes. Yeah. But you say you say they are doing a sequel. They are in the way that they're doing a Hocus Pocus sequel and a Sister Act threequel. You know, it, it, it's one of those I'll believe when I see it. A charity show on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's my big bugbear of 2020. After the, the pandemic, obviously, and, you know, the bushfires, the attempted war with Iran, the uh, claims were fraudulent. After all those, one of my big bugbears of 2020 is I'm really sick and tired of we're going to reunite the cast of this thing you really love for a sequel, dot, 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 on Zoom. Right, Play that is not... That's it. That is that is not Father of the Bride three. That's a Zoom call. There's a difference. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. Anyway, well, let's, let's talk about something grander. And, yeah, bigger and brighter things. And I suppose you know you can't get more brighter than good old Ziggy Stardust, could you? <laughs> what a segue that was. Um, <laughs> there is um, there's a new David Bowie film out, isn't there? Yes, Stardust from uh, director Gabriel Range, helmer of such heavyweight titles as uh, Death of a President and I Am Slave. And the fact that you've heard of neither of those films should tell you an awful lot about this one in advance. So have you have you seen Stardust, Max? Did you get to watch this? I one? have. I have indeed. And obviously this is the this is the film that follows David Bowie as he kind of reinvents himself as Ziggy Stardust. So he goes over to America to promote his new album, The Man Who Sold the World. And it's that moment in time. So this isn't a Bohemian Rhapsody style biopic. This is a snippet of a moment in time. It stars Johnny Flynn, brilliant Johnny Flynn, and also almost unrecognizable, Jenna Malone is in this. <laughs> <laughs> she is. And you know who else is in this? And I have to say this because he's literally playing the same role he plays in everything. Mark Maron is in this, playing a character yeah. who may as well literally just be named Mark Maron. Mark Maron. I mean, maybe, maybe more people would want to meet me if you told them that I was a unique artist, say, who could fill the gap between Elvis and Dylan. Hmm. 
Elvis and Dylan. Gap. So, who do we got in there? Neil Young, James Taylor, Marvin Gaye, Leonard Cohen, the Ohio Players, The Doors, The Velvets, Credence, Johnny Cash, uh, Janis Joplin, Joni Mitchell, every artist on the Motown label. I mean, a unique British artist. Right, unique British artist. There aren't too many of those other than Led Zepp, Pink Floyd, Deep Purple, Yes, yep. Pretty Things, yep. Faces, Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones. Can I say how monumentally disappointed I was with this film? Oh, yes. As was I, indeed, very much. Right, can we just agree, just between us, that yeah. if you're going to make a David Bowie biopic, the bare minimum, the, the one requirement, the only thing you have to do, and this is even more important than whoever you get to play David Bowie, is you kind of need David Bowie's music. 100%. Now, Duncan Jones and the, I suppose, the David Bowie estate essentially mm. did not grant any rights to any... Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, for this movie. So it's working with source material that it can't use. Mm. Uh, and when you're picking out the transformation and brilliant move from David Bowie into Ziggy Stardust, you need... <laughs> Not like this is probably the most visual and you know, <laughs> need the stuff to make it work. What the hell is it doing? Right, this happened before. Now I don't know if you remember seven or eight years ago, uh, John Ridley uh, wrote and directed a Jimi Hendrix biopic with Andre 3000 called Jimmy Always by My Side, in which it was all about Jimi Hendrix basically discovering how to be Jimi Hendrix, and you had exactly the same problem. Nobody saw the movie, nobody cared, nobody gave it a good review. And we've got exactly the same thing here. Now the problem is the film itself isn't inherently bad. It's not a bad movie no, inherently. No. The problem is it's a basic movie. It's a basic movie yeah. that needs flavoring. It's got a good central performance from Johnny Flynn, I think. Mark Maron is Mark Maron, and Mark Maron is quite good. I mean, Glow fans are going to love him for this because he is literally doing the same shtick that he does in, in Glow. But the problem is everything about it otherwise is just, right, here's the checklist for the musician's biopic. Please tick off everything as you go and we'll see you at the end credits. And then you've got, okay, so we've got the uh, we've got the eureka moment, what Mark Kermode refers to as the chubby hmm moment. You know the bit where, uh, you know, uh, Jimi Hendrix sees a fox and then a lady and miraculously comes up with the idea of foxy Foxy lady, lady, you know. Yeah. yeah, you know, I'm making that up, but you get the idea. Something that ridiculous. Yeah. And he, he literally has that moment. Say that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you literally have that moment in there where he's like, he's told about someone named Ziggy, for example. Okay, so that's a eureka moment. Um, you've then got, you know, the, the flashbacks to past trauma. You know that one that every musician apparently has if you believe movies? Like, you can't be a successful musician, apparently, unless a very specific kind of family trauma has befallen you. And you can't make a movie about past trauma unless you're moving walls and doors and then making it feel like it's closing in on you yeah i get what you mean with it being basic like it's filmmaking 101 from film school which is a massive massive shame and and you'll remember this moment because it features very prominently in the marketing for bohemian rhapsody the moments in which our protagonist our musical legend is told over and over oh nobody cares about insert thing you will become known for here <laughs> yeah. look, you know look. yeah 
there is the thing is is that like you know this was the this was the lead film at rain dance right um this was <laughs> the 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 thing that was going to open that this is like you know johnny flynn i don't even know if johnny flynn rocked up to the premiere of it you know i do <laughs> I wonder if he didn't have any faith in it. Um, the problem is, for me, is that it was dull as as dishwater. It was like, I just watched it wanting more. I ended up on my phone Googling about the characters <laughs> more than I did watching it. Because there's this whole thing about David Bowie's brother, um, who was um, had a lot of problems. I think he was schizophrenic. You know, he was put into, actually, funnily enough, he was put into a number of hospitals and places uh, near where I live so I ended up googling all of that out of pure interest and you know there's all that stuff that I was like why is this like not being brought into this story you know um, and then you want to see this massive performance at the end and, and, and stuff and it kind of felt very lacklustre and I just kind of the whole movie is how that's how I describe it lacklustre Johnny Flynn cannot save this movie yes I'll go I'll give it to you both him and Gemma, Jenna Malone I think do give really good performances she was really unrecognisable in this I, it took me a while to go who is playing his wife in this I can't I can't work it out where is Jenna Malone in this film <laughs> and then it's her. Right. I mean the fundamental issue that I keep coming back to with Stardust which incidentally I have I, I gave the pull quote of uh, less starry more dusty um, <laughs> is that I can't figure out for the life of me who it's for now yeah. i'm a bowie fan and i have issues with it because i'm sort of thinking well i've learned nothing new about this man it's not a particularly interesting film and you've not got the one component i want from a david bowie movie which is his music if i wasn't a david bowie fan this wouldn't win me over because the film isn't particularly very good and if i'd never heard of david bowie well what's the one thing missing from it that i would want to take away that could possibly you know introduce me to david bowie it's one of those it's the robocop problem the problem with robocop for instance is you took an r-rated film when you remade that when, when they remade that film they took an r-rated film they made it a pg for a pg-13 for the remake begging the question oh okay so this is presumably entirely for people who don't know the source material why then is it filled stock to the gills with references to the original why are there these moments where you're constantly referring back to the original that your intended audience have not seen. You've purposefully positioned this to exclude that audience. Why are you then catering for it? The problem is you have a film that doesn't know what it wants to be. Is it Green Book with David Bowie? Is it, you know, is, is it his version of Bohemian Rhapsody? Because it doesn't have any of the core components to be any of the things that it would need to be to work. And in terms of just being an engaging biopic, it's too boilerplate, it's too by the numbers. And frankly, the material just isn't really there. Uh, Johnny Flynn's very, very good, but we knew he'd be very good from the casting alone. This is, you know, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. This is the second you heard that casting, you thought, perfect, okay, we're good, we're sold. Package that, that'll work. Unfortunately, yeah. you're, you're counting on the packaging itself to actually be up to par and sadly it really isn't in this case and when i say boilerplate i mean that includes gabriel ranger's direction as well the fact that he i mentioned those two films at the top end of this was purposeful you know that yeah. that tells you an awful lot about just how kind of otherwise direct to dvd this does feel yeah yeah and and in that probably the bargain bin so uh, that, that, I feel like we're being quite harsh, but it's because we're actually really frustrated by this. It's because <laughs> I think I was really excited. I was like, oh, let's watch this. It's going to be really exciting. This is going to be a great watch. And then I was like, oh, mm. get to the point. Yeah. This is boring. Like 
even just get some makeup on, David. Like, you know, there's uh, so much time of him not being Ziggy. And I kind of wanted that to come in earlier so we can explore him as Ziggy because that is the far more interesting route to go with this movie. For me, I think it's like, God, half a thumb up. Like, that's about it. That's all I say. That's it. That's it. I mean, it's a perfectly, it's fun. That's it. It's competent, isn't it? I was just going to say functional. It's a functional, serviceable film. But it's really nothing more. And I'm sorry, but David Bowie doesn't need this movie. He doesn't need Jimmy Orr's by my side. He doesn't even need Bohemian Rhapsody. David Bowie needs Rocket Man. That's yeah. the movie David Bowie needs. Yeah, more so than Elton, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Offscreen. So, from Ziggy Stardust, we're bringing you back down to Earth and into your movies on TV. So, get that couch looking comfy. I know mine, my brand new couch, is very much overused now. I think we're going to have to go and trade it in for a new one because we've done nothing but sit on it. Um, But we've got a really good selection, a mixed selection for you of movies on TV in this next block. So, hopefully, there will be something in there for you. And if you are ready to cry your eyes out prepare yourself because on five star on saturday night oh no saturday afternoon at 4 45 p.m oh goodness earlier for this uh, <laughs> you and the family can cry your eyes out to marley and me oh my goodness i will i will admit that even i shed a few tears at marley because i know the, the 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 conventional thought on marley and me is oh it's this saccharine garbage that, you know you like well yes yes it is but it's very very well made saccharine garbage that's made well enough to like precision draw tears from you it's it's precision crafted to just draw those tears uh, of course uh, this is based on the it was a, a new york times bestseller wasn't it marley yeah, um, and I think, I think it, one of it, several books. Yeah, and um, one that I think obviously the writer is, is talking from experience on. It's not just a fictional mm. made-up thing, but it basically follows the story of a, a married couple uh, played by uh, Owen Wilson and Jennifer Aniston, and um, they adopt a really free-spirited puppy called Marley, <laughs> and he basically teaches them and their children really important life lessons. And you go through Marley's life. You like that? You like Bob Marley? Bob. Would that be a good name? Bob. Bob. Come here, Bob. Or Robert, when you got older, more dignified. Marley? You like that? That has a nice ring to it. Okay, well, well better if you ride shotgun. I don't want to have a car crash our first real day together. Wow. I know, I love it. So let me let me tell you a little story about this, right? You know, do you remember? Do you remember when we all used to be able to get on planes and fly places, and we could watch movies on planes? In, in the before times, in 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 the previous world, yeah. The before world, yes. Um, yeah. Well, I was on said flight uh, to New Zealand of all places, and um, I watched this. And obviously, on a flight to New Zealand, you can watch a number of different movies, and it can take a long time to get to New Zealand. So my husband uh, woke up from a nap um, during the flight to turn around to see me in probably the most flood of tears any person could do. And he was like, "Have I missed some turbulence? Have we? Are we? Are you like? Are you okay? What's going on?" And I was like, "I can't deal with this film." And I think I cried for a good couple of hours afterwards as well, which passed the time beautifully. <laughs> This is completely off topic, but I think uh, the last time I was on a flight, funnily enough, I cried over a film, but it was that documentary about Marie Colvin. The, uh, oh, with um, the Rosamund Pike. 
It wasn't. No, that was the narrative film. But there was the documentary that came out about six months ahead of it with the with right. the actual guy, uh, with her actual cameraman, Paul something I forget. Um, but uh, really moving documentary, and it just that, that second time I'd seen it, and it destroyed me both times. Uh, phenomenal story. But uh, anyway, Molly and me, which Molly. you know, I, I think everything about it sort of works. I mean, Owen Wilson yeah. is just likable enough, and Jennifer Aniston on sort of fine family friendly movie form and of course it's got a cute puppy there's a really awful prequel sequel hybrid that came out of this as well marley and me the puppy years yeah i think it's called the puppy years oh they will make try and make money out of anything look it's a brilliant standalone film it came out in 2008 it still holds its own right so just go and enjoy it it will it will cheer you up but it will also bring you through all of the feels on a saturday (laughs) afternoon so um you know just just a word of warning for anyone that's got the little kiddies in tow that there is obviously and you can probably imagine what it is this is all of Marley's life there is a bit of a sad ending uh, to walk back and it will <laughs> work well I think we've said before haven't we that any movie involving a beloved pet has to do one of only two endings yeah. so yeah, there is that uh, let's yeah. move on to Sunday night there's something very different um, <laughs> let's go with let's go with gritty drama starring Ryan Reynolds it's uh, Sunday Devil. BBC 2 <laughs> <laughs> Sunday, BBC Two at 10.30pm. It's Mississippi Grind. I don't know if you remember this from 2016. This is basically, the the star is Ben Mendelsohn and Ryan Reynolds is the the secondary lead. It is the story of a degenerate gambler who, played by Mendelsohn, who's a, you know, he's heavy drinking, you know, down on his luck gambler, who uh, encounters a younger sort of equivalent to himself, played by Ryan Reynolds, who sort of renews his optimism and he seems to think has brought him good luck as well. And the pair go on a road trip in the hopes of sort of reviving their fortunes. He walks right through the doors, blows past security, sits down at the poker table, and he is in heaven. He is brand. We didn't have Woodford, so sorry about that. That is our top shelf. It's bullet bourbon. All right. I'm not paying for his, though. Excuse me? No, I said his Woodford is on me, and that's not a Woodford. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, lady. I'm I'm joking. (laughs) Here, come on. There you go. Thank you. Keep the change. Very cute. All right, here. Good luck to you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Better than the cheap, right? The question I have about this is. Like Ryan Reynolds is kind of like, I'm not saying he's pigeonholed himself, but people want to expect a certain Ryan Reynolds when they're watching him on screen. What kind of Ryan Reynolds are we getting in this movie? You're getting that off-kilter Ryan Reynolds that we had for a long time post, uh, post-waiting, post really, where he's doing things like the nines and stuff like that, uh, the voices, things like that, where it's not particularly reliant on his comedic chops so much as just his charm in a drama, because it's about degenerate gamblers. So casting Ooh. Ryan Reynolds comes with the obvious added value element there that you are parlaying off of the natural charm of Ryan Reynolds. Which, you know, makes a degree of sense. He's very good in it, but of course he's not the star Ben Mendelsohn is. And Mendelsohn is a terrific actor, even on his worst days. I mean, even something I despise, like Baby Teeth. I think he's brilliant. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, um, Baby Teeth, incidentally, apparently one of the best movies of last year, according to anyone who owns a cardigan. But I quite like Mississippi Grind. I think it has uh, it has a lot of gristle to it. 
it's again, it's kind of boilerplate in that you have seen this gambling drama before. I mean, I particularly am fond of uh, the William H. Macy one, The Cooler, with William H. Macy and Alec Baldwin, which is kind of similar. It's just kind of a similar vibe, but it's a bit less sensationalist. This is is pretty. This is a very down and dirty drama that you can imagine was crafted you know, with the faint hopes that it would be a dark horse Oscar contender. Um, as it is, I think it's a, a pretty good, I think it's a pretty good movie and I think it's worth checking out. And it's on at pretty much the right time as well, which is a, you know, a Sunday night, 10.30, being, you'd be asleep by 10 past midnight kind of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. So look, that is, a, that is a good one to end your weekend with, but to start your week, I am going to give you a five star movie. And this is one I wish... I wish I could say go and see this one in the cinema again because it does deserve your full immersion. What? Yeah, but no one saw it. No one saw it in the cinema the first time. That was kind of the problem. Well, you're all idiots because you should have done. <laughs> I agree. I agree completely. <laughs> this and you know what? You shouldn't have just seen it in a cinema. You should have seen it in an impact cinema because yes. this deserves everything you got. So get the sound bars out. Get your big screen out. Get a projector out if you got one. I mean, this deserves everything. It is on Sony Movies, 11.10 p.m. Why the hell is it so late? Uh, On Monday, it is Blade Runner 2049. The only sequel in a very long time that kind of goes, you know what, I can still hold my own. It's brilliant. Are they all constructed or do you ever use ones that are real? It's illegal to use real memories, officer. How can you tell the difference? Can you tell if something really happened? They all think it's about more detail, but that's not how memory works. We recall with our feelings. Anything real should be a mess. This is one of those movies that really shouldn't exist. I'm glad that it does. It's a terrific movie. It's fantastically well made, beautifully shot, gorgeous cinematography. Everything about it is incredible. And yet, at the same time, the fact that it does exist is just bizarre to me because every element of conventional wisdom should have told everybody involved that this just wasn't going to pan out. Blade Runner was not a box office hit in the 80s. So why a sequel would be a box office hit 30 years later, I don't quite know. And also, there were bizarre criticisms like, oh, it's not as action-packed as the original, which begged the question, I'm sorry, were you awake and paying attention during the first one, or did you just see the flying cars go whiz-by at the beginning and and zone out after that? Yeah, exactly. This, for me, it's a sleeper. It's a sleeper hit. And, you know, if it gets... If it takes 10 years for it to get the recognition that it absolutely deserves, I'm like, it will be well worth the wait. It is beautifully made, brilliantly shot, well-acted, you know, and it's exciting. And I just think if you haven't seen this before, treat yourself. Sony Movies, 11, 10 p.m. on Monday. Come back to us and let us know if you didn't like it, because we will argue you down. <laughs> I'm going to be really honest. I know a complete dumbass who told me that the Oscar for Best Cinematography should have gone to the darkest hour over this. So, mm. Mm. I mean, my face is, it's like daggers right now. <laughs> oh, you, 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 you know this person. Oh. Uh, anyway, so, Blade Runner 2049, great way to start the week. And you know what? Cinematography, wonderful. 
Looking to stay in the loop with the latest movie news? Then say hello to The Daily Reel, your bite-sized hit of the biggest happenings, hirings, firings, release dates, scandals, and everything else going on behind the silver screen. Delivered to your ears every weekday morning in less time than you'll spend in the shower. Subscribe to The Daily Reel on all major podcast platforms or ask Alexa to install The Daily Reel skill for your morning flash briefing. Make your morning cinematic with The Daily Reel. Welcome back to Off Screen and welcome back to the couch as ever. Carrying on with your free view film guide for the next seven days, we're leaping to this next Tuesday, the 19th of January, on Film 4 at 6.35. This is a bit more family friendly, I would say, this, this, this offering. Um, very hyped at the time as well. This was yeah. what, 20, 2011, I think. God, is it? Is it only 2011? It is. Yeah, I, I thought it was I'm earlier than that. I thought I thought I was younger. <laughs> um, we're talking about Super 8. It's on Film 4, 6:35 p.m. on Tuesday. Um, this is the movie that I was expecting, if I'm going to be honest. Goonies 2. This is what I was hoping for. They sort of marketed it with this sort of niche retro nostalgic appeal of something yeah. like The Goonies. What it actually did, even though I don't particularly uh, enjoy the film, but I know it has its fans, which is why when we were doing our pickings of this, I had no objection because I know enough people like this that it's it's perfectly fine. I mean, also, it's, it's kind of written, written and directed by J.J. Abrams. He has his fans. I mean... I like The Force Awakens and that Mission Impossible movie he did with Philip Seymour Hoffman as a really good villain. But the biggest thing I can say, um, sort of in, in terms of the pop culture sphere about uh, Super 8, is, and it never gets the credit for this, I firmly believe this is the very obvious direct inspiration for Stranger Things. I think Stranger mm. Things spins almost directly out of Super 8, because if you look at its appeal, it's a 1979 set movie. It's buried in that Spielbergian, nostalgic, wondrous, rose-tinted, you know, backwards view. Follows a group of effectively tweens. I think Elle Fanning is the female lead in this. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It is Elle Fanning, isn't it? Yeah. It is, yeah. She went, before she went all weird with that, uh, that, that fashion movie she did. What was the blood-soaked modeling movie? Oh, she yeah. Did? I remember that I remember one. the name of it. Yeah, I do remember, yeah. but she plays Alice in this, which is um, yeah. she's much more innocent in this. And it also, stars, <laughs> it also stars Kyle Chandler, which I love as well in this movie. It does, it's got a hell of a cast, actually. I think I can't remember if it's Hitchcock or Scully from uh, from Brooklyn Nine-Nine's in this as well, and like Noah Emmerich and people like that. But this is, uh, you know, sort of Stranger Things-like setup, group of sort of tween friends, the losers from, you know, It, for instance, uh, happen upon, like, they witness a train crash that they then witness a sort of government cover-up around it. And is it something more sinister? Well, of course it is. It's, you know, it's a J.J. Abrams movie. Of course, it was steeped in mystery and, you know, posters that were nearly completely oh my black God, it's lens <laughs> that's it isn't it? it was from the producer of Cloverfield You're like dude no it's from the creator of Alias let's call this what it is <laughs> yeah. uh, but so you know like I think this is one of those films I think if you're looking for something comparable to like the Goonies for a you know, kid of a comparable age nowadays you would show them something like Super 8 I think if you're a fan of Stranger Things for instance you should watch Super 8 to kind of get the obvious chrysalis, the genesis of that as well. Um, so, yeah, you can see that uh, Tuesday, Film 4, 6.35pm. You can indeed. Now, for some of you who are thinking, gosh, 
I miss those historical tales since Game of Thrones. No, I'm joking. Uh, I miss those historical <laughs> tales on TV. Um, I want to see something that harps back to... <laughs> You're just reminding me of the time. Which government minister was it that said that taking a knee comes from Game of Thrones? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't Grant Chapeau. Was wasn't it like Matt Hancock or someone said that oh, taking God. a knee as an act of protest came from Game of Thrones? <laughs> I know. Well, listen, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna rescue you before whilst Van rescues himself. Um, I'm talking about if anyone's ever watched a film with with. Um, the wonderful Judy Dench um, of Mrs. Brown. She plays Queen Victoria in that film. She does. That's the Billy Connolly one, isn't it? It From is about, like, 98, I want to yeah. say. Oh, it is brilliant. So if you're a fan of that film, skip forward to 2017 and Judy Dench is back again as old Queen Vic. And it's sort of a sequel, isn't it? There's a sort of a part two element to this. It's like the sequel to a film it's in no way physically or, or financially connected to. I love it, I love it. This film is called Victoria and Abdul, and it is on Wednesday on Film 4, uh, BBC 4, sorry, at 9pm. And it's the, well, it is the true story of um, Abdul Karim, a young prison clerk from India who travels to present Queen Victoria with a moha on her golden jubilee and it's just a gift essentially and essentially strikes a very unlikely friendship with her lady churchill was absolutely scandalized sitting next to a servant and a hindu to boot the munshi is a muslim scholar and knows the quran off by heart and for your information is a servant no longer he's to be given a staff of his own what do you mean a staff the little fat one. Oh, this is absurd. Letters, invitations to supper. You're treating him like a member of the family. No, I like Abdul. Lady Churchill had better get used to the fact. As the Munshi is coming on holiday with us. As a member of the household. You can't take a Muslim to Florence. I can take a Muslim wherever I like. Good night, Bertie. I loved this film. It was so mm. charming. Um, so interesting as well. It's like a hidden story about Queen Victoria that you didn't know. Obviously got me Googling afterwards to try and find out about the real Abdul. Uh, he did exist. Um, and beautifully acted. Did, yeah. However, yeah, beautifully acted, obviously, from um, the brilliant uh, uh, Judy Dench, but also Ali Faisal as well as Abdul is brilliant in this. Eddie Izzard's in this as well. Stephen Frears. It's great. That's it. Eddie Izzard as Bertie, I think, is the standout in this because nobody plays slimy scumbag quite like Eddie Izzard. Uh, Ali Fazal, incidentally, I just looked up what he's doing next. He's in Death on the Nile, the sort of Ken Branagh sequel to Murder on the Orient Express. As a direct sequel. Um, the other things I always forget about this film, yeah, I always forget Stephen Free has directed it. And uh, how good is Adil Akhtar from Four Lions? Yeah. As, uh, as, she, as she puts it, as the, as the short fat one. Yeah. Which, uh, is, how does Judy Dench manage to make something that dismissive sound classy? It's okay. so weird. Oh, it's <laughs> but so brilliant. Really good movie. I really loved this film. I thought it was a really touching, really moving drama. And it does have that novelty, like you say, of being that sort of semi sequel to, to Mrs. Brown. Like you could literally package this up as a Matalan box set. It'd be perfect. Yeah, yeah, so fantastic. So there you go. It's on, as we mentioned before, Wednesday, BBC4, 9pm. We're going to jump to something completely different next, aren't we, Van? <laughs> we are. So Thursday, E4, 9pm. 
I, I could make an... I mean, I can, I can do this with every film in this series, bar the first one. I can make an argument for this being the best of the Mission Impossible series. You can't... What you can't say is this is the one which, uh, which Tom Cruise shouted at his crew for, so... <laughs> That's very true. Um, <laughs> this is... Okay, first of all, before we get to this, do you know how Mission Impossible movies are constructed? Because, I, I mean, I think we've touched on it briefly before, but I've, I've heard lengthier discussions about it over the Christmas break. I don't know. In the Scientology meetings? Is it... No, the way... <laughs> The way it works is they hire the director who has like a, a basic story outline. Then Tom Cruise gets in touch with them because he's a producer on all these things, has been since the second one, I think. And uh, he gets in touch with them and he says, right, I'm learning to do this at the minute, or I've always wanted to do that, or I've always wanted to do this, or I've always wanted to go there. Let's write that in. And that's how they do it. So when Tom Cruise phoned up Brad Bird, the director of The Incredibles and Tomorrowland, and said, I want to climb the Burj Khalifa, (laughs) he had to literally come up with an excuse and a justification to build a near $200 million action movie around the idea that Tom Cruise wants to be an actual free-hanging man off the top of the Burj Khalifa, also giving way to the greatest selfie anyone has ever taken, to hell with Ellen DeGeneres. So this is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is the one in which they they essentially become rogue agents. The IMF Tom Cruise's team, effectively, are blamed for a terrorist attack and forced to rely less on the organization or the toys that they normally would and effectively go rogue, effectively rely on the bare-bones version of their equipment to do the job they ordinarily would, only this time, if they're caught or killed, they're actually caught or killed, as we get told by the Secretary of Defense. So what happens now? Now I've been ordered to take you back to Washington, where the DOD will label you as a rogue extremist and hang the Kremlin bombing on you and your team. Unless you were to escape somewhere between here and the airport, having uh, assaulted Mr. Brandt and me. Sir? You would then illegally scrounge whatever material you could from a backup supply cache that I've overlooked, the same cache where your team are waiting for further orders. Sir, you may want to... You will then disappear, and this conversation never having taken place, uh, your intentions would be unclear. But if anyone of your team is caught or killed, they will be branded terrorists out to incite global nuclear war. Oh, that's very dramatic. (laughs) This is the one that uh, Jeremy Renner got cast in as the uh, to set him up as inheriting the franchise. Like this was meant to be the last Tom Cruise one, and Jeremy Mm. Renner was going to take over. Meaning, and that happened twice that year, and both times they wound up reversing the decision afterwards. So Matt Damon came back to the Bourne series. Tom Cruise decided, you know what, I do like this series after all. I'll keep it going. Poor Jeremy Renner. Wow, what is it that Jeremy Renner's doing wrong? They don't want to carry on with him is a question I think everyone should be asking. Anyway, this is one of my favourites out of the Mission Impossible mm-hmm. series. I mean, Paula Patton's in this as well. She's great in this. Um, you know, the Burj Khalifa scene, as you mentioned, it's just breathtaking in itself. So, you know, and that's what you go and watch these movies for. You kind of want to see what Tom Cruise is going to do next. Like, is he, when's he going to go in space? Probably in the next couple of years. Um, no, that's, that's happening. That that's actually happening. He's booked on a commercial space flight yeah, with Doug Wyman. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, he's it's, actually going. 
Yeah, but it's in the next couple of years, isn't it? So we have to wait a mm. little bit of time for this. Hopefully he'll do it before he's 70. Um, but <laughs> anyway, regardless, it's still worth your time. Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Thursday, 21st of uh, January on E4 at 9pm. Finishing up the week. Finishing up with some sex appeal, are we, Max? Uh, d- who could say that maybe I chose this selection of movies on TV this week? What can I say? Um, <laughs> I, I uh, am excited about this because I haven't watched it in a while and maybe it's time again. But it uh, is on very late. BBC One, 11.30pm on the Friday, is Interview with the Vampire. Yes, not only is it uh, Tom Cruise or, and also Brad Pitt, but also... Christian Slater as well. Let's not forget on that. Um, he tells the story of um, after the death of his wife and daughter, uh, how Louis is turned into a vampire by Lestat de Lioncourt. To keep Louis by his side, Lestat converts a plague-ridden girl, and it is brilliant. So, what do you do? I'm a vampire. <laughs> That's something I haven't heard before. You, uh, you mean this literally, I take it? Absolutely. I was waiting for you in that alleyway, watching you, watching me. And then you began to speak. So what a lucky break for me. Perhaps lucky for both of us. You uh, said you were waiting for me. What were you going to do? Kill me, drink my blood, all that stuff? Yes. But you needn't be concerned with that now. Only Brad Pitt could deliver an entire performance in this tone of voice at the height of his popularity and success as a renowned international sex symbol. Works for me. (laughs) 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 Uh, Apparently Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt really didn't get on on this movie. Did they not? It doesn't especially show in the film. I would, because there is a lot of homoerotic tension between the two. Between the two performances there. This kind of gets a little bit of a bad rap. I think this is kind of like a Mm. cult classic, this movie. I... I loved it so much. Like the 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 Stephen Rea, is it Stephen Rea moment in the, um, or Antonio Banderas moment actually is quite chilling, where he mm. takes a woman and essentially kills her and leaves her for her, his vampire friends to eat. At the end is 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 quite a big moment in there. There's lots of things that I remember when thinking back to this movie, like British just actress Intra Ove, I believe. Oh, nice. Tandy, the, uh, I don't know why this. I remember that. <laughs> Yeah, I have no idea why you remember that, but great. Um, Tandy Newton's in this. Obviously, Kirsten Dunst is in this. Um, yes, Stephen Rea is as Santiago. I quite enjoyed him as Santiago in this. So look, there's a whole thing. I bet you didn't know this. Helen McCrory, second whore, is what she plays in this. Oh, I mean, that's that's the role that you want at the top of your IMDb filmography. You know, when it says what you're best known for, I'm sure yeah. she really loves having second whore interview with the vampire. <laughs> I think it's a really good movie. I actually quite like Interview with the Vampire. I think a lot of the bad rep that's cast over it is a lot to do with the sequel, which is uh, Queen of the Damned, the uh, Aaliyah Stuart um, Townsend, which I admit is truly terrible. And, yes. and was was ill-advised on concept alone. But Interview with the Vampire, I think, is a really good movie to finish out the week with. This is, what, 11.30 on Friday night on BBC One. So... Prime channel, prime slot, prime night of the week. What's not to love? Welcome back to Off Screen. We have kept you on the couch with everything from your free view guide for the week. But now we're turning to DVD, Blu-ray and, of course, streaming. And yes, 
unbelievably, there is new offerings out there as and when you need it. And we're going to kick off with a couple that you're available on DVD and Blu-ray, which is Collective as first and foremost. And then we've got Relic as well. Van, take us through them. So, Collective. Now, I didn't get to review this at the, at the tail end of last year. So, I, I still haven't seen it yet. But I, I there's so much buzz around this that I kind of have to. And you know I can't resist a good documentary. So, this is uh, about fraud committed by a number of government ministers and uncovered by a group of journalists in the wake of a fire in Bucharest. Uh, after which, a number of the victims then mysteriously died in complete completely unrelated ways. Like, they were hospitalised because of this fire, but then all just died of really strange causes. And it's about the investigation into that. And it's one of those setups that's kind of like three identical strangers. I just, I gotta know what the hell the mystery is behind that. But more than that, I, I hear from, you know, some critic friends that I actually, you know, trust. Like, highbrow. <laughs> cardigan-wearing critics, but the good ones. There are one or two good ones that this is actually worth watching. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Maria Duarte's advice and actually, actually watch this one. Um, Relic, meanwhile, is a relatively recent horror movie that stars Emily Mortimer and I want to say Bella Heathcote. Yeah. Bella Heathcote? She was going to be the next big thing for about 20 minutes about four years ago. And, and now she's making nothing, a relic. And, and now she's, she's disappeared and come back in Relic, uh, which is written and directed by Natalie Erica James. And this is the sort of three generations of women in a haunted house, effectively. When the grandmother mysteriously disappears, the mother and adult daughter go to visit. I think it takes place in Ireland. Uh, the mum is Emily Mortimer, the daughter is Bella Heathcote. I forget who plays, I think it's Robin Nevin plays the grandmother. And it's about the mysterious circumstances surrounding her disappearance, her eventual reappearance, and the things that, are, that, that you know arrive in the house with her upon her return. Very creepy, very atmospheric, did give me a couple of really good jumps. There's some wonderful cinematography in it. The, the visual styling of it is incredible. I just, I, I thought it had a lot going for it. But also it serves as this wonderful visual parable for uh, the grandmother's like dementia as well. So yeah. as she as she loses her, as she feels her grip loosening on, you know, on, on her reality, so too do those around her feel their, their grip on their own sanity going in the process as well. Really something. I have to ask, how is Emily Mortimer in it? Because I'm loving Emily Mortimer in the newsroom, which I am devouring at the moment. Um, okay. She's brilliant. She is brilliant. But first of all, Emily Mortimer can never be better than she is in the newsroom. She's terrific in the she newsroom. Is. Everyone's great in the newsroom. I mean, I'd say that you know, no one could be better than they are in the newsroom, but uh, Jeff Daniels has been you know, equally brilliant, if not even better, in other things as he is in the newsroom. Really love him as Will McAvoy in the newsroom. Um, she's great, though. Absolutely brilliant yeah. performance. Uh, she's less the focus than Bella Heathcote is to an extent. They sort of share the the screen time, but it, it's a little bit more weighted in Bella Heathcote's uh, favour, I'd say. If you're looking for a DVD out of those two to get, though, I've only seen Relic. I would recommend Relic wholeheartedly, but I hear amazing things about Collective as well. Fantastic. Okay, let's move across to streaming as well because we have a couple of offerings from Netflix and also Amazon Prime. We do. Um, one that's not on our list that actually is uh, arriving on Amazon Prime from today, it was a sort of last-minute edition. This is uh, Regina King's One Night in Miami which I had the pleasure of seeing at the London Film Festival. Did you get to see this one as I well? I didn't, when it was no. Absolutely brilliant movie that basically plays like the Avengers of African-American historical icons. It is like an imagined night in a motel room 
that's shared by, I think it's uh, Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke. And it takes place in the in, immediately after Muhammad Ali's uh, title-winning fight, so the, when he became the world champ. But this is literally half an hour after that. And it is the four of them in a motel room over the course of an evening, basically getting into the debates of the time and hashing out their differences. Has a lot of very poignant exploration of the issues facing black America in the 60s. Wonderful performances, particularly Aldous Hodge, who I quite like from uh, uh, Invisible Man recently, and Clemency, who's very good in Clemency as well. But then again, he's been a great actor for years. It's nice to see him getting some time in the sun as well. He plays uh, Jim Brown here. Definitely worth seeing. Funnily enough, opened on Regina King's birthday on Amazon Prime, so it's also her feature feature directorial debut. And you know what? She started out with a bang, quite clearly. On Netflix, on Friday the 22nd, which is next Friday, uh, White Tiger, which is getting a lot of press at the moment from uh, Priyanka Chopra, who plays the female lead in it. Uh, New movie chronicling a uh, a driver who's uh, basically working for a sort of rich, spoiled couple, gets drawn into a web of lies and deceit through his aspirations to basically just get more more out of life for himself. Balram, have you ever seen a computer? We had many of them in the village with the goats. The goats are pretty advanced to use computer. Okay, now you're being a jerk. I didn't like the way he had spoken about me. Since I was a boy, the desire to be a servant had been hammered into my skull. I, Balram Halwai, I drove the car. I was alone in the car. They made me sign that confession. Why would you kick him? Why would you hit him like that? You're my driver! Not what I was expecting. I was expecting something along the lines of Tiger King. Um, sounds good. <laughs> Does sound good. Really good. Uh, really good trailer run. I think I've got the link for this one coming later to, to review for next week. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm actually really overly overjoyed at the moment that Priyanka Chopra is getting more high profile roles. I'd hoped for to see more of her post Baywatch, but it just doesn't mm. seem to have really happened. For I think she's great fun in Baywatch as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just did never seem to to happen. For I'm hoping that this gives her more uh, more exposure but uh, yeah. anyway uh, that's uh, that's next Friday the 22nd on Netflix the same day on Amazon Prime is Dave Franco's directorial debut starring his uh, he's also co-written it with Joe Swanberg stars his real life partner Alison Brie uh, alongside Dan Stevens it's called The Rental it's about two couples who rent an Airbnb on the lake start to dis- start to suspect something may not quite be right with the uh, owner of said property and you know what it just it's a standard twisty turny you know for the 25 year olds kind of thriller it's got a it's got a lot of it's got a lot of cred for it it's uh, i think dave franco's a far better director than i would have expected but then again you know his brother's james franco james franco did a hell of a job directing the disaster artist so given how involved dave franco was in that i shouldn't be as surprised as i was 
but this was a, a relatively quiet release. Obviously, I think it was about four or five months ago, um, whilst we were still in the, the first lockdown. Yeah. I think this sort of quietly came out. But uh, that's available on Prime, along with uh, White Tiger on Netflix from next Friday, 22nd of January. So there's, there's some good stuff to, to be cracking on with on streaming, but I do recommend One Night in Miami wholeheartedly. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, look, we've got a great selection across the board this week again. As we do every week, we do try and find you guys the best of the bunch. So, look, there's a few things... Sorry about of... Stardust. <laughs> yeah, true. I was just going to say, you just beat me to it. I was just about to say, maybe there's a couple that you might want to avoid. But other than that, uh, generally a good one. My big pick of the week is going to be Blade Runner 2049 and also Interview of the Vampire. So it kind of rounds off um, the beginning and the end of the week for you on your freeview. So everyone can access that. I'm going with the, I'm going with Ghost Protocol because I haven't seen it in a few years. I really loved it. I'm watching that again. I, I love uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. I always remember these movies by which set piece takes place and which one. So I know the <laughs> yeah. one after the one after is the one where he's hanging off the side of the plane, and the one after that is the Henry Cavill one with the machine gun biceps. Yeah, that one. That yeah, might actually be the, that might be the most consistent franchise running today. But it's a shame it has to come to an end when he becomes uninsurable in a couple of years. So uh, next week uh, we we might get to talk about uh, White Tiger. We might get to talk about Baby Dunn, and we might get to talk about the exception but at the moment i think it's probably best that we don't commit ourselves to release dates because everything is in flux such as the the state of the world but either way we will be back to talk about things that are on freeview and on streaming and on dvd so we'll be talking about some movies we will do so for now we'll love you and leave you with all of your seven day guide to everything movies but as ever we will be back with you next week so i've been bex perfect i've been van connor and we shall return <laughs>